0: Welcome to Video Game Bullshit. Alright, welcome to the panel it's 90s Gaming Nostalgia. And I run a podcast called Video Game Bullshit, we bullshit about video games. So what we do is we're gonna sit here. We're all gonna talk. We're gonna tell some stories. You can tell your stories too, because this is what this panel's about. It's not all about me up here telling stories. It's just who am I? I'm just an author and a guy who loves to fucking play some games. <laughs> That's like everybody else. So like instead of listening to me sit around and talk all day, and listen to awesome. you're gonna get to listen to Austin, people like Austin who was who an art designer for video games now. And before, like, what what kind of games were you involved in besides for the legendary Mystic Searches? Yes. I
1: worked on a, uh, a game for Facebook called Cold War Clambake that was sort of a um, what was it? It was an asset management kind of game, okay. uh, or one that you played with friends online. And then I, I worked on a Kickstarter called Haunts the Mans Macabre. and it was <laughs> it's, a it's, it was a, an asymmetrical turn based. Uh, horror-themed game wherein oh, yeah. it was a haunted house and you played either the ghosts uh, who were haunting the house or the explorers who were trying to get in there and uh, you played it head-to-head with your friends. It's and actually a really cool dichotomy. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Was, a, it was a fun idea and a, and a super fun project, unfortunately. Like the other game, it never really shipped.
0: Ah so, so, so that was part actually, of the documentary that exactly. so, so in the new 8-bit heroes documentary that he's an integral part of with Joe Gonado, they mention, like he's like, as long as this game ships, I'll be involved. That actually makes sense. You're involved in a couple projects that just never came to fruition. Yep. So part of that aspect where you're building nostalgia, giving people other nostalgia, these type of aspects were I'm playing a 1979 arcade game setting the first ever world record on it in the year 2016. Like, who the hell does that?
1: Now, shit? what's the like, <laughs> what's the story on that? Where did it come from? So, that it, that Enigma it was 2 was there to was, be played
0: for the first time. In 1971, they created it, they test marketed it somewhere, and it didn't catch on like they wanted and they canned it. So, there's only a couple actual machines that are in existence. Um, And there's only one enclave right there that's known to exist. There's another board only. And then Richie Knuckles right there actually saw that cabinet. He's like, I have this same cabinet with a different game in it. They repurposed it to something else. So what they do with arcades that people aren't aware is if something tanked or something's been on the arcade floor too much, what they do is they repurpose it and they'll change it into something else. Because particle board is expensive. Yeah, that's
2: how Shigeru Miyamoto got his big break.
0: That's he how, how Miyamoto... radar
2: scope into Donkey Kong.
0: Yeah, because radar scope for Nintendo was a huge, huge letdown for people. Yeah. And then
1: they At took the all those radars. At the Play that we, we filmed that in yeah. the uh, thing, they had a radar scope machine.
0: Yeah, and then what they did was, is the radar scope was a red cabinet and they converted a lot of those to Donkey Kongs. So if you see a Donkey Kong with a red cabinet, it's actually an original conversion that Nintendo mm. did. And then when they started making the original Donkey Kongs, they were in that light baby blue that everyone's used to. Interesting. So, the one thing I want to prove, though, is that even this weekend, you can build a new nostalgia for video games. It doesn't have to be something that we did in the 80s and 90s or back when we were kids, you can build nostalgia this weekend, watching the documentary while drinking beers with friends, or coming here and talking at a table about freaking old school video games that you're playing now, or you know, listening to a guy who is creating a tool that allows to make NES games in a month instead of multiple years sure. that Joe's doing. Like, there, there's nostalgia as any happening. part of your life that's worth reliving. Exactly. <laughs> and if if you don't think that what you're doing right now is worth reliving, we're having fun. And the other aspect that I've explained to people is, is that things that people always talk about, the heyday of the arcades, it was always cooler back in the day, you would go to the arcade, all your friends are there, and you get to hear the noises and stuff. What do you think this gaming room right next door is? This is the old school arcades, we just get it now as a vacation style um, experience at a convention. Uh, Going to all these conventions and seeing the different types of arcade setups that they have and everything, That's
1: about what you would spend on quarters back in the day. It
0: is. (laughs) It it really is. And you get to play more arcade games than you ever thought fathomable over at these things. Like being able to play a brand new arcade game, Enigma 2, or something like that. That's awesome. Those are one of a kind. And then there's people making brand new arcade games now. uh, that Play like a 32-bit game or a 16-bit game or craziness that like there's just people that are passionate and the fact that we're all coming into adulthood and we're just applying it. Like I just started writing books and getting them published out there because I, you know, came into adulthood, and I can make it happen now. Sure. Back when I was a kid, we didn't know how to conceptualize stuff like and in that. in
1: fairness, there, there are also a lot of barcades that, that have opened up in various uh, yes. places. They have a bunch of these arcade cabinets, and you can have a
0: beer and play those. Yeah, the barcade yeah. aspect's interesting, and the dichotomy yeah, yeah. between whether they're going to charge... Uh, for uh, a lump sum like 10 bucks to play or they put it on quarter play. So I know some that put stuff on quarter play, but then they're running into that Enigma 2 aspect where they pull it off because it's not producing quarter plays and then they'll put in games like Metallica Pinball and stuff like that that everybody wants to play it's an interesting thing whereas if you put everything on free play you don't get that those analytics true but then you can have the Ninja Turtles up there and all the classics and people will have a beer and just play some games and enjoy right, it right right so it's it's all on what the proprietor wants whereas at a place like this they'll have they can just load up the whole room with arcade games and it'll be a different world yeah. but then it gives you that no, that new nostalgia which is pretty sure. cool and one of the interesting things uh, one of the games that's really
1: popular in those barcades are these sort of like four-person station games, you know, that like Mm -hmm. you would see uh, back in the day, cooperative play, only it's a big sort of pixel art, almost like a a game you'd find on your phone, kind of a time waster, you know, little, little platformer things, but people have a blast playing it. Isn't that like the uh, the new Pac Man versus that uh, they have at uh, I like think they that. have it yeah, like
2: the classic X Men arcade game. The classic X Men, the six player X Men. On
0: Absolutely, the six player X Men was awesome. Uh, you had your four player Turtles, you had your uh, Simpsons four player. All of those games, though, from a collector perspective, I would never buy those for my house. And why is that? Does anybody know why I would not buy a Simpsons or Turtles arcade for my house?
3: You wouldn't personally buy
0: it? Yeah, speak up so they can record, but... Yeah, why would I not have one of my favorite arcade games, Ninja Turtles, why would I not have that in my house?
2: Is it so common?
0: Because it's so common, not really, I don't collect for rarity, I collect for cool factor. That cool factor, it oozes cool.
3: Yeah probably because in the arcade it was much more social, you ran in, you made new friends at your yeah. home, you're not going to do that, it's just... So,
1: so the social aspect, I could, I could see I that. I imagine the footprint of it might be uh, more than you're willing to give Size. up. Size.
0: <laughs> okay, so when you're collecting or getting arcade games, you have a house, an apartment, whatever, you got to dedicate space to these arcade games. So, number one, you want to pick arcade games that you absolutely love and you'll play all the time. And number two is just you want to pick the best of the best that you could find within a budget. So my perspective is a game like Donkey Kong, a game like Defender, Centipede, Pac-Man, something that you could never possibly beat would be the games you would want in your arcade collection. Because if you're buying Turtles, what what am I going to do? I'm going to put it on free play. If I put it on free play, give myself 100 lives, I'm going to beat it in 15, 20 minutes and I'm not gonna touch it again for a year. And that's a giant arcade in my corner that's just gonna sit there for a year. Whereas if they have a Turtles here on the floor, I can go play it once a year at an arcade or over at a convention and get my nostalgia and it's not taking up a footprint in my house. But a game like Donkey Kong, am I gonna be able to personally do what some of these world record holders do and and get to the kill screen in Donkey Kong? No, I'm not there. And so I'm always getting challenged. Uh, So I own a few arcades. Do um, you have any arcade games? Have you? Because I know in the movie there's that main arcade that that's at joke. That's at Joe's house. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah.
1: So, yeah. so my apartment Mame? doesn't have
0: room for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the arcades that I have, I have a Donkey Kong Jr. Cocktail. So that's one of those sit-down ones that you would play. Um, that's over actually at my parents' house because I move around every three years, yeah. so I don't want to carry that with me. But it's a really nice arcade. Um, if the I other have one. Golden
1: Axe as a tabletop,
0: Golden yeah, Axe, amazing. <laughs> I don't know if they made that in a tabletop. Was it, or maybe I'm thinking of Gauntlet. I always get those mixed yes. up. Gauntlet is an awesome game. Um, so the other ones I have is I have a Nintendo versus Red Tent arcade. Has anybody heard of the Red Tent Nintendo? No. Nope. So, okay, so the Red Tent Nintendo, if you look it up on your phones, it is this... Pyramid-looking machine made of metal that's completely red, it has an awesome aesthetic to it. it, a complete 80s aesthetic to it, and it has two monitors, one on each side, and it has two different controllers on each side. Um, and there was certain games made from it by Nintendo, so there's Versus Excitebike. And you can oh, go wow. versus each other and excite by like one on so each side. So it's like an old school
1: land party. Old school <laughs> land party, exactly. That's hilarious. There's,
0: there's versus tennis, and you could play pairs. You could play couples tennis to four people on the system. Hmm. Um, now, was this
1: something that was like in arcades, or this was
0: in arcades? This was in Pizza Hut back in the day. So you see it in huh. Pizza Hut, and you get to sit there and play it. Um, that's something I played as a kid. What's cool about the copy that I have is that there is a play choice ten on one side. Uh, does anybody know what the Nintendo Play Choice 10 is? <laughs> the Play Choice 10 is an NES arcade. So, back in the day when Nintendo would want to field test some of their games, they would release it on a Play Choice 10 cart, and there would be 10 games selectable on the screen. You put in a quarter, you get some time, and you get certain, like, three minutes to play Mario 2. And you would go and play Mario 2 for three minutes after three minutes is up, you would put in another quarter. Not when you die. But when the time, because back in the day, you know, arcades, they're trying to suck up quarters. Well, when they're playing a Nintendo game that's meant to give you a full console experience, they just time limit it. So that way you've got to keep paying to play. So it's an arcade game appetizer. It's an appetizer. (laughs) That's what it is. And obviously now I put mine on free play. But mine's an official conversion in the Red Tent by Nintendo. and has a serial number and everything. And it's extremely rare. And I have all the documentation on how you do this the translation, how you do the conversion and everything. And so that's a, a holy grail for my So did you have to collection. do some programming when you set it up in order to get it to do right, or what, what's the story um, with that? I mean, I basically had to look at the documentation online, figure out what the dip switches do so I could get it on free play um, so that the timer didn't run on the play choice side. Um, and then I had to, I have versus Gradius on one side, because I love Gradius and I haven't mastered it yet. And on the other side, I have 10 games. They make a, um, homebrewers make a cartridge slot for the Playchoice 10 so I can put any Nintendo cartridge in it. Oh, nice. So that's a cool aspect. So I basically have a playable Nintendo arcade um, by Nintendo. (laughs) And then the other piece I have is a Neo Geo arcade that I got for free out in my area. Somebody's giving one away. A single slot. Nice. So I have that. Um, But that's the thing, though, is that, like, I... dedicated certain aspects, but there's one thing that uh, we were talking about on my table that I want to hit upon, and that is emulation versus playing games on the actual hardware. So back in the day, we only played it on the hardware, because that's all there was. Then when PCs came into fruition, people started to write emulators to play NES, Super Nintendo, every system on a PC. So, what are your thoughts? Because as you're developing Mystic Searches, you guys are playing it on the emulator, and then you push it over to the NES. And you're playing it on the NES. Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, you know, that that's been an interesting experience to see how uh, emulators, and specifically different emulators, handle the same code. Um, none of them handle it exactly like the hardware. They all are approximating it, but you'll get different colors. You'll uh, You'll run into uh, code that will work fine in the emulator, but then when you flash it to a cartridge, it doesn't work because, you know, the hardware deals with time cycles. It, it deals with the scan lines of the cathode ray tubes. It deals with a bunch of things that computers don't have to deal with. Um, and, you know, another interesting kind of aspect of that, I've I've been hearing people uh, who, when they're playing the uh, the Mega Man games that have been you know re-released uh, for modern consoles, mm-hmm. they're shocked at how hard it is, <laughs> and and one of the they, they say, I don't remember it being this hard. It seems like it was easier when I played it on my old Nintendo, and the deal that game specifically had a whole lot of objects on the screen and things going on and and uh, slow down exactly and uh Metroid is the same way yeah, the slowdown actually becomes a big part of the gameplay yeah It's yes. a game,
2: part of the gameplay in Space Invaders as you go Absolutely. more sped up so right. so
0: that is one aspect of emulation versus hardware versus pushing hardware to a big screen TV is the lag factor too yeah. so when things get upscaled to a screen it had the TV or computer has to approximate you know, the different ratios, and that yeah. causes a little bit of computing time. 0.1 seconds of computing time turn into a 0.1 second lag, which makes it feel differently. It doesn't sure. matter, however you do it, unless you remove it completely. And that's
1: interesting, you know, how, how much our, our very specific muscle memory for you know, our original experience playing that game, what we got used to, mm-hmm. um, Just a small change in that makes it feel like a completely different game.
0: Yeah, and and that's why like, if you've grown up with the NES and you played it on TV, you're probably not going to enjoy those same games as much on an emulator because it's going to feel different than what you remember. When you remember something, that's what you want to experience again. And so if you just start playing it on an emulator, though, you'll be fine with it. It's not going to bother you. And that's why you see people arguing on forums... As to like what they care about and what they like and all and in that. In
1: fairness, if you played it on the emulator not long enough, you would probably get used to it, and that would then become what you expect.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all about the um, anything you play like a thousand, a million yeah, getting times, getting used to it. Yeah, period. That's, That's absolutely it. So, one thing he was asking me: What was your question that you asked me at the table? I said, "Ask me in thirty minutes," which turned into be fifteen minutes at my <laughs> panel.
3: Pretty much, how as someone who has created all the great work in books that you've done, mm-hmm. all the research and hard work that goes into that, how have you been able to do that? How have you been able to play all of those games?
0: Okay, so, so for the people here who don't know, I'm a published author, I've done a Nintendo collector's guide covering every NES game, a Super Nintendo collector's guide covering every Super Nintendo game is a 500-page book. Uh, the other one's 250 pages. And I do a Culture Chronicles covering the highlights of 1990, the highlights of 91. Um, and I'm going to 92 and the future. So I have multiple published books on games. So he asked me earlier, he's like, so you, you pl- have you played all these games? And I go, yeah. How did you do it? Do you own them all? So that's where I was like, hold up for 15 minutes and we'll talk about it here. So... I asked him if he knew what a power pack or an EverDrive is. Does anybody know what the PowerPack or EverDrive is? Time it's, to blow people's minds.
2: One of those, like a programmable flash card.
0: It's not a programmable one. So, so what the EverDrive is, is it allows you to take those ROMs from the computer that they use for emulation, you put them on a small SD card, you plug it into a cartridge, put it in your NES, and it's flawless gameplay which also means, and it opens up a million realms. So number one, I can play every single NES game on one cartridge, and not have to own every one, and not have to dig out out of my collection every one of my cartridges, because I have a, pretty much a complete NES collection. There's you know, Nintendo World Championships and some crazy shit that I don't have. But, <laughs> like, yeah, um, and you don't have to do the whole blowing on because once you get it set. I actually have a Famicom Everdrive, on a AV Famicom 2, which is RGB out, and to a PVN, so it has optimal picture. It looks better than when I was a kid. It looks awesome. But um, the thing is, is with that, so you plug it in, you get every game, right? So what would be another benefit? What, what can you do on an emulator that, is, that you can't do on the NES Save normally? States. Save states. Um, another one. How about those hacks that we were talking about? NES hacks. People that make oh, yeah. Mega Man inside Mario Brothers. Yeah, um, they translate about Mario, ease or translate RPGs that weren't playable in the U.S. Yep. So you can play translations. Can you can play do. hacks. You can play everything on an NES, on the actual NES, like it was supposed to be played. But you could only before that play it on an emulator. Were there any rom hacks that you particularly enjoyed? All right. So the rom hacks that I enjoy the most. What was my favorite game of all time on the NES that we talked about? My favorite? Super Mario Bros. Super Mario Bros. 3. Somebody spent 8 years hacking Mario 3, and it's called Super Mario 3 Mix. And what they did was, is every world is a Mario Bros. game. So there's Mario 1 in World 1, Mario 2 in World 2, and you can pick up and throw radishes. Mario 3, instead they turned it into like a ghost alternate world. Mario 4 is Super Mario World with Yoshi. You got Mario Land in there. They even did Mario Sunshine and Mario Galaxy with manipulatable gravity. Oh, wow. And it was just, this was an extensive ROM hack. That is one of my favorite games of all time, and you can save, and there's three coins per level. So once you get all the coins, it unlocks on ninth world where you fight another boss, a new boss. At the end of the game, like it's, I think it's Count Black from the Super, um, Paper Mario yeah, Paper from Mario. the Paper Mario series. You fight him at the end in a brand new boss battle, and there's all new bosses at the end of every world. You fight Bowser Jr. a lot, it's, it's a really extensive ROM hack. And there's Zelda ones, like Zelda Outlands, that's an outstanding one. Sure. Um, and you can play all these on the Everdrive. There's certain crazy ass hacks that do use special mappers, yeah, no. And that's the other aspect too, is that there's certain games that require special mappers that won't be able to run natively on an EverDrive. Um, Things that, like on the Super Nintendo EverDrive, for example, the Super FX chip games won't run on the Super EverDrive. That's a perfect example to use as a, as a baseline. Anything that's super specialized yeah. is going to have trouble.
2: FX chips, C4 chips, and mm-hmm. other special chips that many use. Exactly. I channel for the longest time emulation for Star Ocean and Hells Fantasia were troublesome, especially Star Ocean because of its weird texture compression to get all of that in the game. Yeah. We got it running, we got it translated, but the textures were all blurry and messed up, and you had to download a separate texture pack so later when they finally figured that out how it worked.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's always interesting with the RPGs, and some of those I think still do not run in the Super Everdrive. Um, the really cool aspect, though, is that recently they released an upgrade to the Super Drive called the SD to SNES, and it allows this MSU1 mapper. This MSU1 mapper allows you to have CD-quality audio playable on a Super Nintendo cartridge. Oh, wow. So you can have a metal band covering Mega Man X playing while you play Mega Man X coming on a Super Nintendo. Like, it is amazing. The Legend of Zelda link to the past one, it, it's by the orchestra, and there's a movie beforehand, because they can oh, wow. do small movies, too. And Which also means it opens up the Laserdisc-style games, like Super Road Blaster. There's yeah, a port sure. of that to it. Um, it is re- Ridiculous and they've recently did a few more games that and there's people that are modding these games You have to rewrite the code to be able to read those for files sure. And there's people that are doing it so that way they can have their CD audio in the games. It's ridiculous. That's a new nostalgia for me I'm sitting here playing Ninja Turtles. and You watch the um Turtles in Time and at the screen. It's it's Playing the actual song and singing it to you and shit. <laughs> You're playing on uh, what is it rock and roll racing and it's all the rock and roll songs <laughs> so you get to play Bad in the Bone while you're racing, and all the, the classic ones. So no more ones. unplugging the audio cable from the TV <laughs> and putting your CD player. In yeah, the you character. don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> like you get to listen to it classically, and it's a really cool aspect. Something that I never even knew was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm obviously I'm going to write an article about that in my Super Nintendo Compendium. That's going to go along with it. I'm writing about the MSU One enhancement chip because it's something that not a lot of people know about. That's one of those things that I want to do with my books is just write about things that not a lot of people know about or nobody has covered yet. So nobody did anything that was artistic like I did with my uh, Nintendo book, I was the first one to do that. I threw it out there. And people went nuts for it. So now I'm doing Super Nintendo and even crazier and highlighting things and then letting backers write their own stories in my books and cool stuff like that and and reading about their nostalgia their experiences i said i don't want to see a review on legend of zelda i want to see what your legend of zelda story is when you played it that's what i want to see because yours is different than mine so that's the classic so speaking of that what is your favorite experience austin when you were a kid
1: I'm gonna go with Strider. I think. Strider? Strider and Wing Commander, but you know, that was PC, so for, yeah, yeah, for the yeah. NES, a uh, uh, friend of mine, we rented Strider, we you know, took turns doing the levels, and we went through the whole game that way, and that was I an amazing time.
0: <laughs> so, so VGBS people that are listening online realize that we, did, we do something called bullshit homework on our podcast, it gives me an excuse to bust out my backlog of games and play some old school shit. And we did a Strider episode for NES Strider. Yeah. It is way different than the actual arcade. The arcade is excellent. They actually programmed Strider in the NES differently to be a different game. And it's more of an exploratory Metroid style. You can manipulate by holding up the thing. It was and somewhat yeah. nonlinear because like when, you could go to this place.
1: And yeah, yeah.
2: Like, that, like when they browse like TV tropes and stuff and stuff, and it talks about that and stuff. It like. Mm-hmm. It basically avoids porting disaster by not being a port, you know, because many arcade games early then were, like, disastrous ports.
0: Yeah, and they they didn't port it. There's also so many glitches in that game. Like, manipulating the glitches is actually a fun aspect of that NES game. Mm. And, I mean, I played it on my, you know, or my EverDrive on an actual system and all that, so that was one aspect where I enjoyed it. And it allows you, the, the thing is, is that allows me to play those games to fruition. Right. And Strider was a classic.
1: When I think about the, the way they did the, uh, the sort of ramps, that was fairly unique, you know, that you yeah. kind of run diagonally up things and down. One of the great things that we got to do uh, filming the documentary, I got to meet Mark Erickson who did the cover art for Strider. Nice. So that was, that was a really neat So So
0: he did a yeah. lot of interesting covers. And yeah, for sure. Like, he was the Mega Man, legendary Mega Man 2 artist who yeah. didn't get to see the game beforehand. Make a guy with Mega Man. Like, yeah. yeah. That's a classic. I almost want to contact him, maybe he'll do a book cover eventually or something.
1: He's great to talk to, he's yeah. a super nice guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know,
2: like back when they decided, for, when they, we did we released Mega Man 9 and 10, they went back and made the classic covers for those games.
0: Yeah, I actually have a Mega Man 10 shirt. that has like some crazy ass looking thing. It looks nothing like the game. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that. <laughs> What's crazy about the community too is that some of the guys on Nintendo Age, you know, how with, when they re-released Mega Man 9, they did a press bundle with a CD in it. Mm-hmm. It's like highly sought after. Oh now.
2: yeah, because mm. the CD case was shaped just like an NES cartridge. It's an NES it's like, cartridge. It's a bad 9 stock card.
0: Um, and some guys on Nintendo Age made one for Mega Man 10. With a price sticker on it, too. It looks hilarious. And now they just did one for Mega Man X Street Fighter. Mega Man Cross Street Fighter. That that game. So they've done the soundtracks for those games, too. So they're just, like, keeping it alive, too. Like, stuff that Capcom won't do. Guess what? We're going to throw that shit out there. Yeah. Freaking awesome. Now, on the Strider realm, going to Super Nintendo in the 90s, Do you, have you heard of Run Saber? No. <laughs> so... The port of Strider went over to the Genesis. They, okay. they got all of the Strider ports for that, because I think there was an extra Strider, Strider Returns, that was kind of subpar, too. Mm. Um, but Run Saber is a Super Nintendo Strider with two players co-op. Hmm. and you get to choose nice. from a dude who looks like uh-huh. your, your Strider, how are you or yeah. however you say that, and then there's a, a green haired female anime style that you get to play too Oh man! and it's outstanding, it's the same mechanics, everything, um, my buddies from Council Wars, who um, they were featured in my, in my um, 1991 book uh, they did just recently a video of Strider versus um, Run Saber
1: because
0: hmm. that's the only thing they do, because they do port versus port but now they're getting into crazy similar things. And, yeah, and Run yeah. Saber is somewhat of a hidden gem and now people are starting to talk about it, which is pretty cool. There's a couple of videos that I've seen on Run Saber nowadays. I've
2: never heard of it, so I'm just down. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and that was the coolest aspect and why doing these books is even for me, playing games and collecting for over 30 years. It's like one of those awesome aspects because I'm learning about these games and stuff about the systems I never knew about. I didn't know about Run Saber. I was like, holy shit, this game's fucking awesome. Yeah. There's this game, uh, Turbo Tunes, mm. for, the, uh, for the Super Nintendo that was released only in PAL, and it's just as good as Mario Kart. There's another one that's just as good as Mario Kart 2 that I was, I was reading about, too. There's like two or three different Mario Kart clones that are almost better. There's one that's four-player co-op on Super Nintendo. And I'm oh, like, "Wow." Why the hell didn't I have this as a kid? I would we would have had par- we had parties and we switch off on the two-player mode. Like what the hell? We had to wait till the 64, the Mario Kart 64, to make it happen. Here's an interesting question: As yeah, a yeah. reviewer, when you are playing a game that you don't like, how much time do you spend with it? I spend the same amount of time with every game. Yeah. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean that I shouldn't give it a fair shake. Sure, sure. And the other aspect is, especially if we're doing it for bullshit homework, I gotta beat it. Um, the the hmm. classic one, uh, Adventures of Batman and Robin Ooh. on the Genesis. Hmm. Um, it's different than the one in the Super Nintendo. The one in the Super Nintendo is like a platformer and it's a little difficult. Okay. The one in the Genesis is a damn walking, uh, contra style shooter, okay. and then there's shoot 'em up. Uh, Vertical shoot 'em up aspects, oh, like but POV all, type things, yeah, oh, all weird. not POV, but side-scrolling shoot 'em up, oh, okay. and you're just okay. shooting batter rings infinitely, and it goes forever. The enemies take like 50 hits apiece. Okay. It is there's it, a techno? Um, there's a techno soundtrack to it that I mean. There's people that swear by this game because they just love the techno aspect music. Hmm. And I'm like, I just want to hear the damn animated series thing. Yeah. Like, it's from, it's you Batman know, and Robin. exactly. Like, I want to hear the, the classics. And the Super Nintendo hit that. Yeah. So, like, after I beat that game, because I made sure I had to beat it, and it took me fucking forever. Um, after beating that, I went to the Super Nintendo, and I'm like, oh my god, this is what I wanted the whole time playing the Genesis version. But it's like, there's just so many different aspects and surprises that I get as a reviewer, but I make sure I play it to fruition. Um, the other aspect is, too, is I try to find something good about something shitty. Perfect example, Mario learning games on the Super Nintendo. Holy Mario fun <laughs> with letters, fun with numbers.
2: Mario is missing.
0: Yeah. Um, so, but I have a five-year-old. And it's meant for five-year-olds because my daughter sits there and plays it, and she's learning numbers and spelling and things. And I'm like, all right, so I see the aspects that make this a useful game. And that's actually not the best example because that's still made well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's games that are just not created well. Captain Novalin. They have a copy in there in the the museum of the actual one that they sent out to uh, the different different companies to share the medical facilities because all those games were to teach about different disabilities and diabetes or don't smoke with Pacquiao Marlon or <laughs> <in> different <laughs> aspects. Of like insulin, how to input insulin, insulin in the. Wow! Yeah,
2: that was no. Jesus!
0: Was like, yeah. like some of those are are classically dad. But the thing is though is that you got to try to find some kind of merit from it. Um, I also in my reviews try to stay objective and tell somebody about it and maybe only give one sentence of I happen to not like this, <laughs> like because I don't want to sit there and crap on your favorite game of all time just because I didn't personally have a good experience with it like some people may it may be their gold medal game and I just happen to not like it but they love Color of Dinosaur I don't know like there is (laughs) so that's one thing I want to do I want to go around the room to find out what is your favorite game of all time it doesn't have to be from it can be from any era so we have you in the back first favorite game yell it out I'll say Wind Waker Wind Waker excellent game Legend of Zelda style. Now, do you remember when it first came out? Yes. How many people were pissed off that Everyone. Zelda was going cartoony? <laughs> now, they're all saying it's one of the most instrumental games in the Zelda franchise. Dude, all, like it's a like, hilarious thing. I just wanted more Zelda. I didn't yeah, care. Like, it's
2: like with Zelda, it's like being pissed off and it was one.
0: Yeah. And my thing is, is, I was like, I just enjoy them all. Yeah. So, but Wind Waker, yeah. that's a good like, right one. Now what is- about you? For a sixty-four system, any system you want. That'd be the first Zelda that came out on that one. The first Legend of Zelda in the sixty-four, the Ocarina of Time. Yeah, not the one where it's time. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. And yeah, and then Gold Knight. And you're one hundred percent right with Majora's Mask yeah. because um, so so Ocarina of Time and Gold Knight, two classics. Yeah. Majora's Mask, so a Legend of Zelda game to me. I like being dropped into nowhere. And you got to figure it out. You get to go explore, figure out what the heck you can do, what you can't do. With Majora's Mask, number one, they spell everything out for you. They give you a story, they send you on your way. And then you have this click in time at all times. Mm. And to me, I would never be able to relax and get comfortable with Majora's Mask because I was always worried about the time ending. And I could just never get enjoyment out of it. Or during a time, you could just go around and, fl- and, you know, just chill out and enjoy the landscape and... I, I don't think it's held up too well graphically over time. That whole generation, really, from a 3D perspective, hasn't held up too well. And mechanics are a little clunky because you had the weird 64 controller that now, like, back in the day, awesome. I, I couldn't see it any other way. Now, going back to it, it's, it takes some time to get back into the groove. Um, it really does. But again, though, if I'm trying to play Goldman and LC, LED, it, it ain't going to work. You have got to play it on the on the actual CRT like back in the day,
1: because again that little bit of lag. That would uh, would work with an HDMI conversion or something.
0: It's still a little bit laggy. We've we've tried. And and if it's too sharp, it just doesn't look like anything. Yeah. 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 Well, because there's one thing: the um, EverDrive for the 64. You can put um, action replay and game genie codes on it, Hmm. and people have made game genie codes to get rid of the dithering on it. So okay. the dithering gives it that little blurry effect. And it looks good on a CRT because it would yeah. compensate for the scan lines. Well, on HDTV, it looks like shit. Hmm. It looks terrible. It looks all blurry. When you take off the dithering, it actually crisps everything up and it actually looks presentable. Hmm. Um, but it's another thing, though, when you put it on HDTV, it still doesn't look great because you're going right. to have that little bit of lag and it's just not yeah. going to feel the same. Oh, I
2: actually remember one excellent bump pack that on Occupy of Time and Majora's Best as someone did they redid the entire graphics of Ocreative Time and Majora's Best to look like Wind Waker graphics. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. So you can mm-hmm. play those games looking in the Wind Waker style. And that that Wind Waker basically translates great to HTTV Awesome. Also, now it. now
0: have you been following the hack scene for the 64. Um, I get a lot of information Not from much, RetroCollect.com. It's a okay. it's a UK based website. they Typically, they'll post some of the obscure ROM hacks and homebrew and stuff. I'm
2: afraid not. Well, there
0: was a Mario 64 hack that was just released within the last week. Guys have been spending, I think, 6,000 hours on it or something. And he put in all the Mario Galaxy aspects into Mario 64.
2: Damn.
0: Um, Apparently, it doesn't work on an Everdrive because they do too much with it. It would be like trying to take a a game twice twice the size of freaking Mystic Search is hacked and then trying to throw it into a cartridge. Yep. It's not going to read right. Um, but it looks amazing. It does all the, the graphic aspects and the gravity aspects from Galaxy, everything, and it has all the power-ups. There's like 20 power-ups in the game or some shit. <laughs> it's insane. Wow. Ten minutes. 10 minutes? Go, go. So, game. I gotta go I'm with, uh... <laughs> Probably Kingdom Hearts 2. Kingdom Hearts 2? Oh, see the <laughs> thing with Kingdom Hearts? Alright, so growing up is a hell of a fucking thing. <laughs> you start you start working and you don't have as much time to play video games like you did. And unfortunately, once I hit college after college, I had less time to start playing games. That's about when PS2, yeah. when the Kingdom Hearts game started to come out and all that aspect, so I had less and less time. Like, Final Fantasy 7 was really the last game I was able to sink 120-something hours into each time. Even when 8 came out, I kind of hit third disc, and I'm like, alright, I'm done. I'm done. Like <laughs> I ain't quite there yet. But, like, Kingdom Hearts 2, man, that looks so awesome. Like, it's yeah. action RPG. It's excellent. Yeah. I mean, especially growing up with all the Disney, like, Movies and everything, and cartoons,
1: and that. Yeah, yeah. And then I also love the Final Fantasy franchise, so that was, you know. And the fact that
0: you the get, the get to Perfect relive. match as a kid, like. Yeah. Exactly. So first one. Game. Me. Yeah, you. Um, I don't know, so I like Pokemon Blue. Pokemon Blue, excellent choice. <laughs> yeah, the Pokemon series, that's like RPG aspect, but um, the one thing that never got me, I don't know, is everybody here's played Pokemon the original.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I saw so sure. my copies are red.
0: <laughs> no. Yeah. So, so so if you're playing straight RPGs, right, you get your party, you level them up. Well, what I never caught was is I could never pick my favorite Pokemon because I would sit there and level them up. And it's like, all right, time to get a new Pokemon that's more popular or more powerful. And I'm like, I just spent hours leveling this other guy. And I'm like, it just felt like it was... How, how many Pokémon in the original series? 151. 151. So there's 151 characters you gotta level up to max. Like, that's insane to me when I'm used to doing, like, 4. I had the same problem <laughs> with Gran Turismo. Huh? I, so I have the same to- problem with Gran Turismo, yes. You get yes. attached to a shitty car. Yeah, you get your <laughs> Nissan Skyline and you don't want to move on from it. like... <laughs> played a lot. Yours? Um, I was gonna say Doom until you brought it into the Doom. Doom. Oh, we'll go to Doom. (laughs) So we did a whole bullshit homework. It's called Brutal Doom. Have you heard of Brutal Doom? Yes. Yes. So Brutal Doom, you take the original Doom, you put it in Zendronum, which is a new emulator that you put within the PC, so you can run it on a PC now, and it applies these textures and maps, and it's gory. It ups the gore to current level generation standards. There's dripping guts when you blow up the the, the, uh, different demons, and they'll be dripping off the walls. Um, when, they, when they released the new Doom, the guy from Brutal Doom put all those weapons and all those aspects into Brutal Doom. He's just like, yep, I'm gonna put those in there too. Um, and there's all these different types of mods and aspects and then there's a hacking community, like we're talking about ROM hacks, there's a Doom hacking community where they're, they've been hacking Doom since it was released. So back in the day you had the Beavis and Butthead hack and all the classics, well now you have full Doom games That you can play and then you put brutal doom on top of it because it's like a skin and it's freaking awesome and then now you can jump you can do all the craziness like you could in the in the classic uh halos franchise and all the other games too like they start adding stuff and you can turn that on and off because if you're playing with the doom purists, they don't want to fucking jump (laughs) they're like no there's no jumping allowed (laughs) but and then the other aspect of brutal doom multiplayer uh, GoldenEye style. And you can play multiplayer co-op through the game. So you can play up to four players going through a level because some of the levels that people make are brutally hard. So it's really impossible to progress through the game. But then when you play with four people, you can, you can make it through because not only do you not respawn all the way to the back to the level, you can keep respawning as people die. So it's, it's a really cool aspect. And you cool
2: get four aspect. times the firepower. And
0: you get four times the firepower. So You can beat levels that you normally would have had trouble going through. It's a good one.
3: All right. What's yours? This is so hard. So hard. <laughs> easy. There's so many favorites across many different genres. Well, which one do you want to talk about? Uh, <laughs> all of them. Like, that's not, that's But here's what I'll say. Um, I got to go back to the beginning. I got to go back to the beginning. The, the thing that brought me to the dates, the reason why I'm here today, um, the first game, the game that I first fell in love with, which is the very first Super Mario Bros. on the NES. That's where it all started. Everything. Super is Mario Bros. From the the first one. I don't even, I'm not even saying it's the best one, but <laughs> they've been able to take that core concept and for keep sure. it going for the last thirty plus years. That is something to be said. I, i just got to go back to the beginning.
0: And it's they crazy, gaming. exactly, <laughs> it, it, it really is. It's crazy to think how much influence that game has had on everybody as a gamer. Yeah. Like, it's insane. And the thing is, is that Mario has hit every generation. It's one of those things why I will always buy a Nintendo console. I don't care, I'm going to get the exactly. NX Because why? Because I like the Mario games, I like the Zelda games. <laughs> They're going to release one of each of those. I'm good. And I don't have time.
1: Different gaming mechanics—they're the only ones that are really addressing that, as opposed to doing, you know, games that are very similar to each other in the same genres. Yeah, Nintendo is pushing the what can we, how can we redefine what a game is and what experience you
0: get out of it? Exactly. like the, people were complaining with the um, with the new series, the new Super Mario Brothers series, because it was just staying too stagnant. But then when you look at the three D ones, Super Mario three D World and three D Land for the three DS, like those were ones that I thought that, that would have been the Mario sixty four. That would have been better than Mario sixty four. So you get four players. You're almost on a two D plane, but then it turns three D plane, and you get to do four players at the same time. You get to do all this extra aspects. Like that game is amazing. It is, it's honestly like people don't even really talk about it. It's crazy, yeah. and that's how gaming is nowadays. You, you get it, you play it, you wash it away. You yeah. get it, you play it, you wash it away. Like my wife is a gamer, and she plays Grand Theft Auto Five. She's a level two twenty on GTA Online. Mm-hmm. Hasn't played the offline version at all. <laughs> it's crazy, <laughs> but she notices. She started this to play with our nephews online, they're online playing it. So she started that, she got into it, she likes to blow the shit out of people, and plays rockets versus insurgents on it, and stuff like that, she's playing it every night now. Um, but the thing is though, is that she notices, all right, so the new game comes out, everybody jumps over to it, and then within a week they're all done with it. Like new Battlefront comes out, Everybody's oh this is the greatest thing ever, people will jump on it. She would uh, get Gamefly just to get it real quick to play with them, she knew that they are gonna drop it in a week, and they, did. they all dropped it in a week. Newest games, Dark Souls comes out. They're all stuck with it for a week or two. Then they're back over to... They all keep on going back to GTA, because that is just the ultimate sandbox game right now, the online version. But um, and she keeps on pulling their asses back. She's like, no, I'm only playing this. (laughs) See,
3: I've actually started my wife on games as well. She's into MMOs, so she's now playing over 2,000 hours in Guild Wars 2. Guild Wars 2. 100 levels in World First World, which is their type of realm
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, game
3: style. So, oh yeah, she's playing right now, as we speak. <laughs> so she's like, oh, you're going out there? I'll be here. So I can't keep up with her. I created a monster. I that's can't good, her though.
0: <laughs> I mean, the thing is, though, having that dichotomy and having that what draws you is awesome. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't even dog my wife. Because the thing is, we play other games. We play the uh, Tetris Dr. Mario. Um, she kicks my butt in Paperboy 2 on the Super Nintendo. <laughs> I personally like the Genesis one better, because Paperboy 2, you can jump on and off the curb on the Genesis. The Super Nintendo, it's like original Paperboy, you can't. So she likes it. She's used to it, though. So that's that aspect, though. But, I mean, she's, she doesn't like playing a lot of the platformers because my ass would beat her every time. Or like, Same thing with fighting games. Like She likes Mortal Kombat 2, but she doesn't yeah. like playing versus me and i have never held back. My wife doesn't like any modern console game. She's
1: not into any of that, but she will destroy you in Ms. Pac-Man. Amazing. That's still <laughs> her. She Ms. will go crazy. Like if, there's a, if there's an arcade cabinet, it must be played. That's awesome. Like so, awesome.
0: So that's probably one you need to have in your final wrestling Yeah, yeah. yeah. If I were to
1: choose one arcade game, you know, yeah, that
0: would be the one. And, and that was the thing. I had a Mortal Kombat 2 arcade uh, for, for my wife and then we had to move and I had to get rid of it.
3: <laughs> wow. My wife has three games that she always kicks my ass at and everyone else's.
0: Pilot Wings for the SNES.
3: Yeah. Um, Whatchamacallit? Super Street Fighter, Super Puzzle Fighter. Oh, yeah. Puzzle yeah. Fighter. She's a
0: big super Puzzle map. Fighter.
3: And uh, Perfect Dark on the N64.
0: Perfect Dark? Oh, Sequel to Goldeneye, yeah, nice. essentially. Oh, yeah.
3: Basically, yeah. <laughs> I recently got a hold
2: of that of, like about six months ago. A copy of that N64 copy. Nice. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, so I think our panel's about over. So everybody, you can reach me at uh or vgbspodcast.com, same website. Uh, Complete NES is my first book that put me on the map, Complete NES Collector's Guide. Uh, Complete SNES is still up for pre-order right now. Uh, as soon as I order the main print run, which is going to be within the next week or so, I'm going to have to close down pre-orders, but it is there. Um, so thanks uh, thanks for Austin where can we find you Austin? Uh, austinmckinley.com
1: also the new 8 bit
0: So New 8 Bit Heroes n- documentary chronicling his him and Joe Granado's adventure into programming for the original NES. It is an awesome movie we screened it yesterday it was really freaking cool check that out and they're having an nes game that's going to be associated with it that'll be out soon too they have that open for pre-orders too correct so yeah please uh, support if you can and check us out we have some booths out here appreciate it thanks
3: thank you. thank you